Welcome to Live in the Feast. I'm Jason Resnick, and for the past decade, I've been helping businesses translate their goals into online success as a freelance web developer. In order for me to accomplish my why as a freelancer, I needed to live in the feast. Now I'm turning the tables around so you as the freelancer can do the same and build a sustainable business to achieve success so that you can ultimately live the kind of life you want. Imagine if you walk into Best Buy and the sales rep comes up to you and says, we have a TV that will automatically adjust for you when you're watching baseball and then again adjust when The Walking Dead is on. It'd be quite scary, right? Especially if you do watch baseball and The Walking Dead and somehow the sales rep knew that. Well, Brennan Dunn early on in his career figured out that people will pay for solutions to solve their business problems, not just code. And if that solution can be presented in the language of the customer, it makes for a much more easy sell for a lot more money. The takeaway from this episode is for you to look at your services page or your homepage. Are you speaking the language of your clients or are you speaking your language? Do you have techno jargon on there? Do you speak to the benefits of your service or solution? You should be able to tell right away. If not, then tweet me at Rez and I'll take a look and give you a personalized video review. This episode is sponsored by Feast. Feast is the roadmap and community built for freelancers like you looking to take their business to the next level. You didn't become a freelancer and start your own business because you wanted to work more, right? Want better clients? Command higher prices? Build recurring revenue so you can stay out of the famine for good? Feast will help you focus and remain accountable through coaching calls, community, an exclusive mastermind group, and a ton of resources and tactics that work for today's market. Head over to res.com feast to check it out. And while you're there, take a look and grab the free lesson and the KPI spreadsheet, which I use to track my own content marketing. So let's dive in with Brennan and live in the feast. Howdy, folks, and welcome to Live in the Feast. And you know that this season is all about marketing. And when you're marketing yourself as a freelancer, you know that when you market to the right person at the right time, that's when they become a client. And today I'm really excited to be bringing to the show here someone whose name is synonymous with freelancing. And if you don't believe me, just Google it and you'll see it pop up all over the place is Brennan Dunn. Welcome, Brennan. Hey, what's up, Jason? Thanks for having me. So for those that don't know who you are, who are you and what do you do? Sure. So quick overview is I, in a past life, I used to run a web development agency. Uh, so I did that starting in about 2008. Before that, I was freelancing. Then I grew to start an agency. And I built an agency. We did pretty well. We got to 11 employees. And I decided that I wanted to at the time, get into the software game. So I started a company called PlanScope, which is a project management tool for freelancers and agencies. And on the riff of marketing, one thing that had to happen to get people to sign up for PlanScope was 
we needed to find a way of getting ourselves in front of people. So I started writing a lot about what I'd learned building an agency and that took off. That actually became more successful than PlanScope ever did. I sold PlanScope in early 2016. And since then I'd been full-time on what became Double Your Freelancing, which is just a big training website for all things freelancing. And then from that, my latest venture has been something called Right Message, which I founded earlier this year in 2017. And Right Message is a website personalization tool that allows you to tailor the content and copy on your website to speak directly to the person looking at it. Because that's something that, I mean, you help freelancers too. And there's a lot of different types of freelancers. There are designers and web developers and marketers and copywriters and all these different types of people who each of these types have different needs and they have different ways of describing these needs. I mean, for instance, a web developer might use the word rate, whereas a copywriter might use the word budget. Each, it all means the same thing. It's a different way of saying, or, or fee, I should say, not budget. They might use the word fee. It's the same way of describing the same thing, which is the cost. But what I realized is the more that I could show somebody that I understand who they are and the language they use, and I could present testimonials and reviews and so on of people just like them. Um, so the the copywriter who shows up will know that I can also help her as a copywriter versus the alternative, which is showing, you know, a lot of designers and developers and so on. So that's, this is a technology that I started using on W freelancing starting about two, three years ago, homegrown built in house to use on my own website. And then about a year ago, I created a course on marketing automation and I included a lot of the code that I had used on WR Freelancing and gave it away. But the biggest complaint people gave me was, this is all good and well, but I don't know what to do with a bunch of JavaScript. So I, I partnered up with Shai, who's my co-founder, and we set out to make this a proper company starting officially uh, last April-ish or so. Awesome. Yeah. So we're definitely going to dive into the personalization aspect of the marketing for sure. But before we do that, I just want to ask you, I mean, I know that you started a web agency, you did a lot of Ruby development and that kind of thing. As an engineer, like, you know, go from university or college to a full-time job and that kind of thing. But ultimately, what, what was your why in starting your own business? Why, why did you go to that not road? Yeah. So for me, it's, it's funny. So I actually dropped out of college um, to start a software business, a software startup called um, Agathon Solutions. And what we did there, which actually had its start for me in college, was we, and it's funny how things come full circle, but we actually built a company that generated leads for mortgage brokers. Because I was doing this on an individual basis while in college. And then I dropped out to make this an actual company. And it was interesting what we did. So a lot of mortgage brokers would get leads from websites like um, LendingTree or one of these companies that will generate leads in bulk at scale, and then they'll resell the leads to multiple people. So what we did instead is we said, we'll employ the same tactics that LendingTree uses, namely nationwide advertising, where it's a little cheaper than, uh, or it used to be at least, um, than localized advertising, um, You know, broad, broadcast-based marketing. And then what we would do is we'd make it so if somebody from Virginia uh, clicked on an ad, we would on the fly 
find a customer of ours in Virginia, a mortgage broker customer, and we would choose one and show their branding, show their photo, show their you know information about their business with their you know uh, our stock lead form, and then if a lead was generated from that visit, that would go directly to that customer of ours in real time, and we called it a branded lead. So instead of buying this person's name and phone number and they'd never heard of you, instead you're getting a name and a phone number somebody who just seen your your branding your information. So it's funny, that is kind of like, right, right. in a way, what I'm doing now, just on a very less sophisticated scale. So I was doing that. And then the the mortgage bubble burst. And that's when the whole subprime fallout, mortgage fallout thing happened in what, like mid 2000s. Um, and that led me to get a job in a rush at, because the, the company virtually went belly up overnight. And then I had to get a job. So I found an agency that was hiring uh, PHP developers, which is what I was at the time. And I started working there and worked my way up the agency to effectively run the technology de- department of it. But it got me kind of insights into how an, an actual agency runs. Um, and so I learned a lot just from osmosis uh, by working there. And then I ended up moving from Florida, where I was, to Virginia. And I didn't know any of the local technology companies here. So I ended up freelancing for a friend of mine from college who was living in San Francisco. Uh, he knew a lot of companies out there who needed help. And at the time, I was getting out of PHP and into a new framework called Ruby on Rails. And so there were a lot of startups out there that were looking for Ruby on Rails developers. So I just worked on a contract basis remotely for them. And then one thing led to another, word got around. A lot of people wanted to work with me. I figured I could turn away work or turn work away, or I could scale an agency. I didn't realize there was a third option, just making myself really expensive and premium. But needless to say, I went with a scale because it sounded really nice, especially thinking, well, if I could, you know, I, I was meeting people at conferences, at technology conferences who were Ruby on Rails developers, many of them freelancers. They hated sales and marketing. And they loved the idea of just being able to sit with their headphones on, writing code all day. And I thought, well, I was getting these referrals anyway. It made sense maybe to just kind of build this uh, collaborative agency-ish thing. So I started doing that. And at first it was all remote, all contractors. But then uh, over time, it quickly became a brick and mortar employed company just because I thought that would make us a little more professional. That's kind of how I stumbled, I guess, into running an agency. And again, I had no formal business training. I, I guess I got my training building this failed startup thing um, and and also working in an agency, but I didn't really uh, know much outside of knowing how to build web apps and specifically in Ruby on Rails. And through that experience though, was when, you know, I, I learned kind of, it was interesting as we grew, mm-hmm. we had my team who was technical you know, for the most part, eight of the 11 of us were billable. And then we had our clients and I was kind of the bridge between the two. And it forced me to really see things from the client's perspective. It forced me to really think like, why are they hiring us? I became very much salesman in chief to keep ourselves occupied. So I was doing a lot of networking and uh, working with a lot of different people locally, specifically who were just really better than I was at this whole sales and marketing thing. But that taught me a lot about you know, no one was paying us all this money for code. They wanted a solution, which sounds obvious now, but it didn't. At, at first, I thought I was just we were being paid because they wanted a web app to be built, which I mean, there's truth to that. But 
the web app wasn't really the, what they really wanted was, you know, uh, some improvement in their business or for a lot of our clients, a new business to be created that was successful out, out the gate. So we kind of stumbled our way into uh, becoming more and more successful, I guess, over time. But then I got to the point where I guess shiny object syndrome set in and I was seeing friends of mine who had very good businesses right. who had subscription based businesses. Cause one mistake I made with the agency is it was all transactional revenue. We had very little repeat mm-hmm. subscription revenue at all. It was pretty much all just build a project, spend a few months building it and then deliver it and move on. Sure. So I like the idea of a lot of people paying us a little bit of money on a monthly basis which is what lured me over to thinking, well, we build software for a living for other people. Why don't we do it for ourselves? So that's where PlanScope came to be. But then I realized just to make PlanScope get to the point where it could support our team of 11 would be really, really hard. (laughs) Um, So that led me to officially exit the agency and promote the head of business development to effectively run it in my stead. And then I went off in my little work at home bubble to build and sell PlanScope on my own. Mm. So, I mean, what was that decision? I mean, that must have been a really tough decision to do, to walk away from the established client base. And like, obviously, if you were essentially the salesman in chief, right? Like you had all those relationships, right? So what was your thought process in doing that? And how, how did you unpack it? So two things. One of which was I thought, well, this is kind of an asset. I, I did a lot of, because I did bootstrap PlanScope while running the agency. So that meant I had to figure out, and we'd already kind of done that in a way where I had to figure out how could I make it so I wasn't a day-to-day dependency. Because the big thing was a big part of my job was leaving and going and traveling to, as I called it, make the rounds. So I'd go out to the Bay Area or go to different kind of pockets our clients lived at. And I would go and just go there for a week and hang out there. Um, Or I'd go to conferences. That was a really good way of drumming up uh, project leads for us. Or not project leads, but more like the connections that would lead to referrals or ultimately project leads. So I was out of the office a lot, which meant we had to have the right processes internally to make it so we could actually get work done and sell and close clients and everything else. So there had already been a lot of work, as Derek Sivers puts it, making the business franchisable. A lot of that had already been done. And then that allowed me to do two things, one of which was build PlanScope. The other thing was when I realized I had to focus solely on the SaaS to make it so at least for about a year, year and a half, we did still get inbound work that closed. And I didn't want to have the overhead of a six-figure payroll for a business that I wasn't day-to-day involved with. So what I ended up doing, which was a very difficult decision, um, I ended up converting everyone to basically, it sounds, okay, I basically fired everyone, but I made them all for first kind of uh, all the work we'd get in, we'd prefer, give, the, give our sure. existing team preference. And um, we would basically be lead gen for them. And, and a few of them actually wanted to become at least freelancers or, you know, one of them wanted to actually start building his own uh, online businesses that were not a service uh, product businesses. Um, and one of them did Churnbuster by Andrew Culver. He used to work for me and now he's built this great company that was yep. sold for a bunch of money recently. So, yeah. So needless to say, that was kind of what we ended up doing was I made everyone independent contractors. So there wasn't any fixed overhead. 
And that allowed me to then focus on um, uh, plan scope without stressing over ensuring that all those systems were running as, as necessary to make more in revenue than we were spending in payroll. So, mm. And a lot of the freelancers that I talk to, they've been in the game for a while. So mm-hmm. they've either been doing it for five, six, seven years, and they're either at a, they're kind of like at a tipping point. They do I grow an agency? Do I hire people? Do I want to branch off and do products? Do I, you know, where am I going? Or am I just staying put and doing what I do? And to hear you work through those kind of those problems, it's enlightening to hear that you had that agency and you felt essentially you felt the weight on you of responsibility that, okay, there's all these people here that I'm essentially responsible for. I don't know if this is for me. Right. Like, I mean, that's it's kind of where, yeah. where it kind of boils down to. Right. Um, so, I mean, I could have kept we, we had created brand collateral. We, I could have created kept going and making this thing more successful, more well-known, more stable. Um, in retrospect, there's a lot I would have done to accelerate that. Uh, namely getting away from fully transactional because the issue was even though we ended up with a pretty decent pipeline of booked future work, the fact of the matter still remained that we had $100,000 a month uh, overhead um, in payroll plus office uh, overhead. And that meant we had to bring in more than that every month in project work. Now, it's fine when you have, say, a few month runway of future work, but you're still always kind of in that I need to find that next, you know, 150 grand project and I need to find it soon. Uh, That's always kind of, you know, top of mind. Right. Um, And considering how big our clients were, we didn't work with a lot of clients at once. It was usually three, maybe four, but usually three clients at any given time, which meant if one of them decided to drop, I mean, we had one who just ran out of funding and didn't tell us. And then, They ended up defaulting on six figures of invoices. Um, You know, I mean, there's a lot of unnecessary and undue stress that can come with that. So, you know, in retrospect, I would have looked for how can I have more clients who pay monthly um, and create systems that make it so, I mean, it's hard when you're building web applications. It's really hard to find a model that works with that formula, but I would have looked for that. And especially if I, if I were starting over today, I would have wanted to find something like that. Um, just basically the same business model SaaS, just more manually fulfilled with probably a zero or more added to the monthly price tag. So. Sure. So yep. I mean, fast forward to today, right? I mean, you've kind of run the gamut. Right? <laughs> like you've built your own, you did freelancing on the side, you built an agency, you left the agency life to build a product, then you helping other freelancers, being a coach, a virtual mentor, virtual coach, doing all of those courses on W Freelancing and and all of that. Now you're back into the SaaS realm. But if I connect the dots throughout that whole journey, there's one thing that always remains. And that's why I kind of feel like right message that to me seems like the perfect fit for you because of everything that you've kind of gone through that journey, you've analyzed your clients, you talk to your clients, you figure out what their problems are, you know that they need a solution, not just lines of code on a screen. You know, they're coming to you for basically solving a problem that they have right now, the biggest pain point that they have, and 
being able to essentially show them that you have that solution, right? And right message being able to essentially take your, not just your clients, but your prospects list data store and using that data that you've collected from your prospect list, you're essentially turning all of your other material into that right message for that right client at the right time, right? So that to me, and, and it could be, like you said, it could have been just a byproduct of the drip course, right? Saying like, okay, I just, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to write this JavaScript code, right? Like, I mean, I've been writing the JavaScript code for a long time too, <laughs> and it is what it is. And it's, you know, as you do it, you're just like, oh, this is easy enough to just, you know, throw up a function and, and put it in there. But there are a lot of people that don't know how to do this, but they know that they can't just sit on their laurels and just broadcast weekly and do a, you know, Jeff Walker style launch anymore. And like all of these things, they have to be a little bit more smart about their messaging and their marketing and really understand that. And can you kind of unpack like, Hey, look, you know, these people are asking me at the moment of deciding to build right message, right? Yeah. You know, you kind of have the evidence behind you already that this stuff works, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're living proof of it, but at the point at which you were getting all the feedback from the drip students and them saying, look, I just don't know how to do this. What was the point at which you said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to build the platform so that they can do it themselves without having to get into the code rather than yep. saying, you know what? I'll build another premium course on top of that, right? Because, I mean, it could have easily been just another premium course to say here, right. one, two, three is on how to implement these functions. Okay, so let, let, me, let me unpack this in a few ways. Two things I want to focus on, one of which is, I'll call it personal validation, which is the concept, where did that come from? How did I learn this stuff and everything else? But the second is the external validation, the how did we get to the point of saying, I'm going to, start a business, hire people, raise money and all that stuff to build this new thing. So the first one on the first, and I already talked briefly about how that first venture right out of college, that failed venture of realizing, well, lending tree sells leads for a few dollars, but they sell these same leads to hundreds of people, hundreds of mortgage workers who all offer the same product. And the mortgage workers that we got as clients were willing to pay a lot more money for an individual lead and somebody who is already recognizes them. So when they call and they say, Hey, this is Jason Resnick. They're like, Oh yeah, I just saw your picture when I filled out that lead form. Right. So that was one thing, but the, the, I, I guess for me, at least when I got into consulting, especially when I got into running an agency and I became more of a salesperson than anything else, I got pretty decent at high touch sales. So you know, the idea of high touch sales is ex is extremely personalized, right? If if you're gonna if you're gonna meet somebody at say a networking event, and you're meeting with somebody who quickly turns into a prospect, you're gonna you're gonna tailor what it is you do to fit right. what you're hearing from them, right? So you're responding to them. Um, so I got good at that, and then when I got into Plan Scope, the issue was it became low touch sales, which was great. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea of. Some guy I don't know shows up on the website while I'm asleep, plugs in their credit card, buys, and then boom, done, right? The issue is with low touch sales, you need to get really good at a few different things, namely persuasion, copywriting, segmentation, 
which a lot of people don't do, I think, because a lot of people look at low touch sales as kind of being a broadcast thing, right? So like, I need a, you know, how do I make this that appeals right. to the, the majority of people? But then some people will go a step further and say, well, this is hard. So I'm going to, I'm going to go all in on a niche. I'm going to say, this is double your web design studios rate, you know, and that's the product. That's the website. That's the focus. You know, this is the type of person. This is the positioning, the hard-coded positioning that we're taking both on the product and on the marketing side. So the sales pages, the site, everything else is, is hard-coded positioned towards, say, web design companies. And then the product we make is the same thing. What I realized, though, was in retrospect, looking back at my high-touch days where I was selling consulting, you know, we, we offered the same product, basically people write code, but we we positioned it differently based on who we were speaking to. So the startup founder, we're going to describe what we do and why we do it better uh, differently than we would to the SMB down the street who wants to replace a really complicated Excel workflow with something with an internal app. So it's the same, we're writing code, we're doing design and UX stuff for, for both, but the way we describe what we're doing is different. What I realized there was on most online businesses, including my own PlanScope, we're trying to say the same thing to everyone mm-hmm. because we just figured, well, that's just how it is, right? If you don't want to do high touch sales, you need to just find a way to make your marketing site just appeal to as many people as possible. And the issue there is that's like saying when I used to go to a, um, say I'm talking to, um, I used to go to a lot of local networking events. And I, you know, you make the rounds and you talk to, say, a dozen people in, in an evening and each person does a different thing. They, they each have, you know, a different level of awareness about the kind of, you know, business model that you have as a, you know, I used to go to uh, uh, these con- these events and say, when I f- went to the first one, I remember saying, I run a uh, Ruby on Rails development shop. <laughs> what does that mean to anybody outside of that industry? Now, if I'm at mm-hmm. RubyConf, yeah, sure, I'll say that. Right. Because I'm, that's contextually relevant and, you know, there. So I started seeing, well, you know, high touch sales works really well. And I think it works really well because it's hyper personalized. It's conversational, whereas mm-hmm. low touch sales tends to be more like a brochure. Right. So, I mean, that's what a lot of marketing sites are effectively brochure sites. And we even a lot of web designers even call it that. Right. And brochures are not individualized. They're, you know, the brochure you get at the you know, at the hotel describing all the different stuff around. Right. So what I wanted to do was, you know, putting my engineer slash marketer hat on was thinking, well, why does high touch sales work really well? Why does phone sales work really well? Why did, when I had my first, one of my first things in when I was actually before college, between high school and college, I worked for about two days at a phone sales boiler room type place where people would call in thinking they want a free vacation and we would read off a script and then inevitably no one would buy. They'd still have doubts or questions. So we would raise our hands and then somebody called the closer would come over and they would basically, their job is to only say, okay, you've heard the whole spiel. I'm now going to convince you. Right? So that was the, that was the whole model. And my thinking was, well, the high touch stuff, I get why the closer works because they're asking, you know, so t- when was the last time you went on a vacation or, you know, what would it mean for your family to, to do this and so on, where I'm just rambling off on the script about all the features and details and everything else, trying to, you know, this is the company proof script that they gave us all. And I realized that the closers are the ones who closed. <laughs> and the reason for that was because they 
took into, they reacted, they took into account who they were speaking to and asked some questions and so on. So I thought, well, what if we could do the same at scale and automatically? So, you know, we can't scale one-on-one conversations, but we could do something like look at where they came from. Did they come from a web design blog that sent traffic to an article of mine? If so, I can probably assume that this is a web designer looking at the site. And then if they start reading articles on my website about proposals and they're, they're reading the majority of stuff they're reading is about proposals, well, I can probably assume this is a web designer struggling with closing proposals. So then put two and two together. And all I need to do is say, when you, you know, see a call to action or something, speak mm-hmm. about how this can help them close more proposals as a web designer. And that's all it was. I mean, that's the same thing. It's like if, if I'm at a, you know, I was at a Laracon, which is for Laravel, a PHP framework. I'm there and I, I'm talking to people and one person came up, I remember, and asked me to tell me more about their business. And I described my stuff to them as a technical PHP developer, right? Which is different than if I was at a, if I'm at MicroConf or if I'm at business of software or maybe more of a business uh, conference, mm-hmm. I describe my business differently to them. And we all do this. You know, this is like the way things are, have always been done, but I wanted to build something and, and, you know, I started building it internally, like I was saying, that would basically be able to do that automatically at scale. So first things first is I've made the mistake before of running, rushing into software. So I started out actually consulting. I did about 10 consulting projects for people where I basically, before my course or any of that stuff that had Tripro tools was a thing. I basically did that for them, right? So I would go in and sell them on the benefits, sell them on the potential, and then get them to put up a sizable amount of money. And I would do it all for them. And then I do that a few times and realize that showed me people will pay for the results that this stuff leads to. And then I wanted to think, well, I've done this a bunch for myself and for other clients now. What if I heart, what if I made this into a more consumable course, right? So what if I package all the know-how and information that I've learned over the years and make it a video course? And then people bought that. We had about 400 people who have bought that now. And what that taught me was people, again, want this. They, I've gotten a little better at that point of being able to describe why it is this stuff is important. Sure. Because um, it's a lot easier for me to do that one-on-one. It's harder to do that in a way that involves a sales page and everything else. But... That was really useful for me because it showed me that people were willing to do that. But there was a roadblock and that roadblock was the the gap between I get this and I want it and this is now benefiting me. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to cross, especially when the product you're giving them is training because they still need to. It's one thing to teach somebody, OK, this is how you personalize your site and here's some code that will help you do it and everything. But there's still you know, the, the gap there is, is big. So then the product, the right message is a product came in as the, you know, for people who value time over money and want the results as quickly as possible without needing to screw around with going on to Upwork and finding a JavaScript developer and using this weird, you know, code library and trying to figure out how to, how it all works and how to make it work for you. Mm-hmm. This is a turnkey equivalent of that. Um, that's a lot cheaper, not safer to implement. And that's, so it came first with a high touch consulting, individual sales cycles, individual kind of pitching the benefits and seeing how people responded and so on, broadening that out a little more into something more that was much, you know, a course is much easier to create than software. So that was kind of the step two. And then step three, the ultimate step is the 
uh, done for you, not done for you. And we're not doing, well, right. we're actually going to be offering done for you, but for the most part done for you in the sense that you sign up, you put in some code at the footer of your site and start clicking on stuff tied to your drip account, your convert kit account, whatever. And you get almost immediate results. So that's kind of like, that was the, that first part that I described was kind of the personal journey that led me to realizing there's this middle ground, this dead ground between high touch and low touch right. that I think we can, you know, Amazon right. Right. makes bank basically doing this, but they've got, you know, what, a thousand programmers or something working on it, probably making this accessible to smaller companies and knowing why psychologically, why this stuff works. So that, that, that was that first realization I beta, I kind of tested it out over the years on my own stuff in, in different nuanced ways. And then I broke it out of my own experiences and did it on client projects then on a bigger scope as a course, and then now as software. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, it's a smart way to do it. I mean, I, I did the same thing. I released a product of WordPress development. It was just a bunch of eBooks and I built that out only to sell a handful. And I was just like, this is not the way you need to do these kind of things. You need to test things. You need to be able to validate your assumptions or pivot, right? Maybe your assumption is just slightly wrong and maybe there's something else that you need to do. And to be able to hear you go through those steps, because a lot of people do this, especially like I was saying before, those people that are looking to maybe grow an agency or grow this, the software product route or, you know, stay as is, test it, right? Come up with a way that you could test it. I mean, I did it something very similar where, I mean, myself, I'm a WooCommerce developer, right? I, most of my clients are on WooCommerce um, and I help them increase their conversions through custom development, integrating whatever they might, their final 20% that WooCommerce doesn't give them out of the box kind of thing. But over the years, I've been using Drip for well over two years now and I've helped them essentially implement call to actions based around customers, things like that, yep. based out of those kind of their data bank there. Um, but yeah. I said to myself, instead of me just doing and pigeonholing myself with WooCommerce, there's plenty of Shopify people that are using Drip. There's plenty of uh, you mm -hmm. know Magento folks that are using Drip. So I said, okay, let me see if I could kind of pull out the Drip services and offer that as a solution rather than just all in yeah. and it works. I mean, now I have more than half of my clients are outside of WooCommerce now at this point, just strictly on drip services. And I was able to do that just by testing the market, you know, talking with other folks, even just jumping into conversations on Twitter that folks are struggling with drip. Right. Do um, most of your clients come, are they already using drip or do you convert them over? Um, to drip? I'd say three quarters of them are using drip. Okay. Because yeah, it could be, I mean, another, if you want to even go further, then you're saying, well, we could branch out to active campaign right. and, you know, work it or whatever else. And then, you know, you start to have all these different things where you're, you're basically, you're like a personified extreme Zapier type <laughs> thing, right? That's funny. <laughs> <way to, laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, but, but that's the thing is that you could have, I mean, a lot of people would say, Jason, you should just go all in on one email marketing app and all in on one platform. And that's fine. I mean, I get the, especially from the polish of the the service you offer perspective. But that being said, I think there's a lot of potential for, you know, niching them. I mean, if you think about it, one thing I like to say a lot is, you know, let's say you're just Jason, the automation call to action guy, right? 
And then somebody who happens to be using WooCommerce and who happens to be on Drip comes to you and you meet with them a few times or whatever else. And then you issue a proposal. That proposal is going to be all about Drip and all about WooCommerce. So if you think about it, niching is just really taking what already happens in a high-touch proposal and front-loading it mm -hmm. into your marketing. And there's no reason why you can't, like none of us have ever written the same proposal infinitely to, you know, to everyone. It's always slightly different. So if, if you think about a proposal as being a personalized sales letter, should be. Why not do that kind of on the fly in that scale? You know, <laughs> your 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 web browser doesn't really care if you're getting a personalized Facebook feed or a bakery's static homepage. Like mm -hmm. it's all HTML at the end of the day for the web, for the browser, right? So it's kind of the same thing, and and that's that's what we're saying is that you know conversationally you would do this. So if you were engaging in a sales you know thing with a with a potential client, you would do this. So why not do this again at, um, you know, in a way that's a little more automated? So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, regardless of what you use, I think it's just important to start thinking through, like, you know, whether you're using one-off landing pages or whether you're doing, um, like, a pro tip could be, say, you go to a conference and you meet three people, one of which owns a SaaS, one of which owns a e-commerce company, and the other owns a services business. When you follow up with them later, you send the services person you know, yourwebsite.com slash services um, or the e-commerce, yourwebsite.com slash e-commerce and then SaaS, yourwebsite.com slash SaaS. And you just find a way to say, well, how do I speak a little differently? Like, what's a better way of explaining what I do to a SaaS company versus an e-commerce company versus mm -hmm. a services company, right? And that's in a way doing what we're talking about, just in a, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that people want to, people want to think, buy the thing made just for them. So yes, you're a consultant, you're a freelancer, you, you, make a living doing one-off things for the most part, right? You're, you're taking your talent, your skills, and you're applying it to a problem and, you know, fixing it. But marketing wise, I think there's a lot we could be doing. And if, especially if we just start thinking through like, okay, how do we, what, what role does our online stuff have in either acquiring or nurturing, you know, potential clients, and it doesn't matter if you're using, if you're selling services or you're selling software or whatever, I mean, same rules apply, but what role does these, does this page have or what role does the site have and start thinking through like, how can I systematically, and again, at scale, start to do interesting things depending on who somebody might be and how do I then segment automatically so I can determine is Jason this or that, right? And that's, Again, that's, I know you do a lot of this and I just, this is where things get really fun, you know, from my perspective. Yeah. I mean, just to, it, again, I'm, I'm a data geek like yourself and just to be able to see that somebody either clicked on a, a question or a certain link and identified themselves, like you were saying earlier about if somebody's looking at a number of different proposal articles on your site, then you know that that's right. what they're interested in, Right. And to simply just change the call to action on a button, and it could even be just the right. consultation button, right? Like, you know, even if it's not, you know, a download or anything like that, instead of, you know, book a yep. consultation with me now, you could say, hey, let's right. talk about proposal writing or, you know, right? Like just a simple text change on a site. And that that's why it's funny that just to be able to translate that high touch sales one-on-one -on -one conversations that you have at scale with a tool like right message 
can help marketing and ultimately right. help your conversions, right? Because that's what everybody wants is the higher conversions. And when people, it's funny when people come during that sales conversation, they're like, well, what kind of conversions should I expect? I said, well, I, you know, there's, first of all, there's plenty of different variables in that whole question. But, you know, if it's personalized, you're going to get, see a lot more than if it's, you know, download yep. my thing now, right? This is something that I know that you're a big proponent of and pushing the personalized personalizations, even just self-identifying simple things, like even your demographics. Like, you know, I have one client that he basically, they're a texting service, right? And he knows like if they're in the, the Northeast or the mm -hmm. Southwest, right? So like he, he knows that these, we've basically built in these kind of automations that if there's a weather alert in one of these regions, they send out an email yeah. to yeah. those clients, right? right right? To be able to say, Hey, look, there's a hurricane coming <laughs> in the Caribbean, <laughs> Florida. You got to be aware. Do you have your email, you know, your broadcast text messages set yep. up, right? So just to be able to do some of those little smart automations just around the simplest things as location, you know, goes a long way into having you stand, stand out amongst the crowd. Absolutely. Uh, so this has been great. I know that we're, we've gone a little bit over before I let you go. I know you're, you know, you're in automation and all that stuff. If you could have one process, just one process in your business to be automated, which one would that be? Um, okay. So I kind of have this and it's the thing that I would don't want to ever give up. It's the thing that actually I continue to invest time in refining. And that is um, what I've done is I have a system where, my, I have a primary call to action that most people who show up on my site organically end up opting into, or it's a thing that if you opt show up organically, this is the thing that you end up on at some point. And um, so that's the primary call to action. And then it's an email course, nine lesson email course, which culminates with an evergreen, basically pit launch window for people going through that. And I've done a lot of testing at first. It was just very basic, like nine emails followed by a linear you know, here's cart open, some, you know, convincing emails and then cart close. Um, but I've gone further and I've made it. So throughout the email course itself, I'm getting segmentation data about who somebody is, their income range, what they're hoping to do as a result of learning this stuff, why they joined. And then I have this bridge that basically looks at their engagement and then it'll tailor this kind of elastic sequence based off of how engaged they are. So if they're super engaged, they go sooner into the open cart. Otherwise they're kind of sent more educational stuff over time to kind of, you know, nurture them. Um, and then the sale window will open up and I take everything I know about why did they join? So what motivation do they have? What led them to the free thing? And that's how then I position the premium product based off that. What kind of business do they run? I'm going to show case studies, testimonials, language that reflects that kind of business. Where are they like, what are they planning on doing as a result of this? I reuse that data that I've already collected and I basically throw it back at them, you know, in a way of saying, your next step is X. Here's how this product can help you basically implement X, dot, 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 dot. And I even do things like in the final lesson, I say, are you ready to implement what you've just learned in this free email course? They click yes. I write a timestamp on the record when they clicked yes. So then during the pitch later on, about a week or so later, they get an email saying, you know, on you know, December 1st, 
at 5.32 your time, you told me that you were ready to do this. I'm going to hold you accountable. And here's, here's what you need to be doing next. Blah, 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 blah. So it's just all these different things. And then the sales page they link to, to buy off of is also personalized. This sequence alone is the thing that I focus all of my energy into getting people into. So whether that's through organic stuff or paid acquisition, or if I do a guest post somewhere, that's what I want people going into. Because this sequence reliably and systematically prints money each and every week uh, during the fully automated open cart, closed cart, count on timers, all the stuff fully personalized based off of their own time zone. So if they're in Sydney, Australia, their launch is at 10 a.m. local time. And same as if somebody in New York goes through it. So this is the thing that is it, it's allowed me to basically build right message and not need to worry about, you know, the hit, the hit that would have been there had I, you know, I, I basically haven't touched DYF in seven months now, but it's still income wise is better than it's ever been with zero input. If that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't give that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't either. <laughs> uh, well, this has been great. I thank you for your generosity and your time. Um, where can folks reach out and say thanks? Uh, yeah. So best place would be on Twitter. Uh, Brennan Dunn, B-R-E-N-N-A-N-D-U-N-N. And then uh, again, I'm at doubleyourfreelancing.com and writemessage.com now. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks, Brennan. And everybody else, it's your time to live in the feast. <laughs>